At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. In his book, Power Surge, Michael Foss shares a little delightful tale from Tsarist Russia. And the tale that he shares is one day there was a priest who was walking along the road, minding his own business, when suddenly he was stopped at gunpoint by one of the royal guards. The guards looked at the priest and he said, what is your name? Why are you here? Where are you going? The priest paused for a moment looked back at the guard and said, how much do they pay you a month? The guard, a little taken aback by the priest's reply, looked and said, well, they pay me about three copics a month. The priest said, hmm, listen, I'll pay you 30 copics a month if every time you see me, you stop me and ask me those three questions. What is your name? Why are you here? Where are you going? Important questions for us to consider personally. They're questions that get to the core of our identity and our purpose, of who we understand ourselves to be, of why we exist on this earth, of the direction and aim that we set for our life. They're important questions, and I think the priest knew that, and that's why he wanted the guard to remind him on a regular basis. But they're not only important questions for us to think through individually, they're also important questions for us to think through corporately and communally. Who are we? Why are we here? Maybe why are we even here today? Where are we going as the church? How you answer those questions has a massive impact on what you do, how you live, what you pursue together as a community. There was a big movement in recent decades among corporations and businesses to define their mission and vision. It was big in business literature. And in fact, if you look at most businesses on their website or wherever, you will find that they have clearly stated some sort of mission, some sort of purpose, some sort of understanding of who they are and why they're here, and some sort of vision, some sort of idea of where they are called to go. Now, the church is not a business, but I certainly think that reality kind of in some ways goes back to those core questions. Every community must ask, who are we? Why are we here? Where ultimately are we going? And the reason we have to ask those questions and continue to ask those questions, because the reality is that we often drift from our understanding of our identity and purpose. We often forget who we are and why we're here. And because of that, our actions shift and change. And there's times where we need to go back and remind ourselves the answers to those fundamental questions. How might you answer those questions? How might you answer those questions for yourself? How would you answer those questions for our church? If you feel slightly confused when I ask this or unsure, don't worry. Peter is here to help us this morning and to cause us to think through those key questions. Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we to go? Today we come to what I think is one of, if not the key passage in the book of 1 Peter. 
If you're new or visiting with us or watching online with us, we've been studying through the book of 1 Peter in a series we've called Unshakable, looking at how Peter writes to encourage the church to stand firm and be unshakable in the midst of mounting pressure from the world around it. And in many ways, Peter, I think, has been building throughout the first two chapters to this key understanding of what we're going to explore today. And at some point, it creates a hinge that he's going to continue to build out from as we look at it in the weeks ahead. If you remember, just before the passage that we're going to look at, Peter has been reminding the church that we are to build our lives on the cornerstone of Christ that he is our foundation and we are built upon him. And now in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, he's going to impact how that reality begins to shape who we are, why we're here, where we're going. So let's jump into the text and we'll unpack it together and understand, I think, what God wants to say through it. Peter begins in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are. So do you hear from the very beginning of this section of the text that this is Now a statement of identity. He's going to begin exploring the reality of who we are, of both the audience he's originally writing to, but even for us today. But you are. Well, what are we? Well, he gives four descriptors in this passage. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So the first thing that Peter wants us to understand, that we need to understand, is we need to know who we are. You, you need to know who you are this morning. And he gives these four markers or descriptors to help us understand who we are in our identity. Now, Peter didn't just sit back at some point at his table while he was writing or while he was reflecting and just think, you know, I wonder who we are. I think maybe we're this, maybe we're a little bit of that, maybe... No, 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 no. Peter is much more strategic in the four markers that he points us towards this morning. In fact, all the four things that he uses are strategic phrases from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew scriptures that speak to the identity of God's people. In many ways, Peter is looking back across the testimony of scripture and being reminded of what God has said about his people And then seeking to help us understand then who we are in light of what God has said. So I think in order for us to understand that, we need to kind of understand each phrase and where Peter draws it from and what's his purpose in giving it to us as part of our identity. The first phrase that Peter uses is, you are a chosen race. Peter draws this from Isaiah chapter 43. If you want to keep your finger in 1 Peter and turn left in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20, you can see what Peter gives to us. I was originally going to put this on the screen, but it's not there, so now I have to actually turn in my Bible, and you do too. This is what Isaiah writes to remind the church, he says, or to remind the people of God, he says, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. This is the Lord speaking to his people. For I give water, for the Lord gives water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So Peter draws from the tradition of Isaiah, where Isaiah 
And the Lord speaks through Isaiah to remind his people, listen, I'm a God who provides for you because you're my chosen people. I chose you. In fact, I love the phrase, I formed you for myself. That when God looks at the church, when he looks at his people, he says, you're mine because I formed you, I called you, I brought you, I saved you. The starting point that Peter roots our identity in is that we, as God's people, are chosen by him and then formed as a unique race of people, a new race that belongs to the new creation. If you're in Christ this morning, you've been redeemed out of the old creation, you've been redeemed out of your old identity, and you've been brought into a new people that are a part of God's kingdom and his new creation. But what Peter wants to remind us of is that our ultimate foundation in our identity is in God alone and in his choice of us that we are chosen by him. The next three phrases that he's going to use flow really out of this understanding of God's election. And Peter draws on a different passage in order for us to continue to understand who we are. It's in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. It's one of the foundational texts that was given to the nation of Israel that helped understand who they were as God's people, and it informs even who we are today as the church and God's people. Exodus 19 happens after God has worked in the first 18 verses of, or 18 chapters of Exodus to redeem his people from slavery in Egypt, and he brings them to Mount Sinai. And in Exodus chapter 20, he's going to give one of his most famous statements, the Ten Commandments, which many of you are familiar with. But before God gives his commandments, in Exodus 19, he reminds Israel of who he has called them to be. Before God ever calls us in what we are to do, he always reminds us of who we are, that what we do is flowing, flows out of our identity. And so he brings them and he gives them this statement in Exodus 19, 4. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So he reminds them of their redemption. Then he says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, here's the key first key phrase, my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Peter, if you go back to 1 Peter 2 now, Peter takes these phrases specifically from God's statement to Israel, and he now applies them to the church to remind us who we are. So not only are we a chosen nation, Peter reminds us we're a royal priesthood. Now, in order to understand that, we have to understand the role of priests, both in Moses' day in Exodus and also in Peter's day. And the role of priests, primarily in their days, were to be mediators between people and the God that they served. That was what a priest did, regardless of the religion or tradition. And what Peter is essentially said and reminding, what God says to the nation of Israel is, you're going to be my priests. You're going to be the people that are the go-between between me and the rest of creation. You are going to represent me, to show the world what I am like, and to labor on my behalf that they have the opportunity to not only see me, but come to know me through who you are collectively as a people. Ultimately, to point them towards Christ. 
When Peter says we are a royal priesthood, we are the go-between of God's kingdom because we are in Jesus, the ultimate go-between. Not only that, he says we are a holy nation, meaning we are a people that has been set apart. That's what that word holy means. But this simple phrase that Peter uses here of a holy nation actually conveys the sense of a common culture. The Greek word for nation is the word ethnos, where we get the word ethnic. It's people that share a common culture together. What Peter is reminding us is that in the church, we share a common culture. That culture is holiness. The church is holy because ultimately God is holy. That's what he says in 1 Peter 1.16. God says, be holy as I am holy. So therefore, the church is meant to be holy, to be set apart to be shaped by God and the reality of who he is that informs who then we are as a community. Finally, Peter utilizes the phrase, we are a people for his own possession. He uses this phrase to remind us that we specifically, if you are in Christ and in the church today, that you, you are specifically for God. You're his possession Not only are you acquired and chosen by him, but your purpose, your destiny, your identity is in him. You are his possession. What is Peter trying to drive at by the use of these four phrases? They're strategic, and they all point, I think, to a big idea that we need to understand this morning, and it's simply this, that believers, those who trust in Jesus, are God's redeemed people. We are God's redeemed people, which means we've been redeemed by him. We'll explore that in a minute. And we now are his people. Ultimately, this means when we say we need to know who we are, we need to be reminded that our identity, who we are fundamentally as people, is centered on God. It's found. Our identity is found in him. We're chosen by him. We represent him. We're set apart for him. And ultimately, we are his And so when Peter wants to answer the question, who are you? His answer is, you are God's people. That is who you are. And if you understand that, it begins to shape everything. Because the reality is, we live out of who we understand ourselves to be. I I was reminded of this a few years ago by a friend of mine who's unfortunately since past, but we were having breakfast one morning, and he was telling me a story about his grandkids. His son and daughter had recently, uh, at the time, adopted a sibling set of three, and he and his wife were uh, watching the kids at their house, and one of his grand, his grandson was giving them a tremendously difficult time. This was shortly after they had been adopted, and he was fighting and pushing back and wouldn't listen, and they were having all sorts of trouble with him. And it finally kind of cultivated to the point where they knew something had to be done. And so my friend Todd took his grandson aside, and he sat down with him, and he said to him gently, listen, you're a smith now. That was their last name. He's a real person, right, just because his name's Smith. But he sat him down, and he said, listen, you're a smith now. And because you're a smith, we love you. You're a key part of this family. And that will never change. But 
you need to understand that as Smiths, there are things that we do and we don't do. There is a certain way we live as a family. And so as part of this family, we expect you to live in that way. And he went on to explain some of the behavior that needed to change. Todd told me later that after that conversation, the grandson's whole demeanor began to change and he became much more responsive to the correction that was being given. Why? Why would that be the case? Well, because he was reminded that he had a new identity. He had a new family. That there was something beyond him that now shaped who he was. We live out of who we understand ourselves to be. And because of that, we It's imperative that we know who we are and remember who we are. That's why Peter wants to remind before he ever calls the church, as he's going to in the rest of the letter, to how they are to live in the world, before he ever does that, he comes to this key point to go, hey, listen, remember who you are. You're God's chosen people. You're God's redeemed people. You're centered on him. This is your identity. He chose you. One of the things I love about my friend Todd's story is the reality that The identity of his grandson was not rooted in his grandson's choosing. It was rooted in the choosing of his parents. It was the work of his parents to bring them and adopt them and belong them into his family that now gave him the new identity that he could begin to live from. It's the same way for you and I. We were orphans because of our sin, ostracized, cut off from God and his family. As we'll see later, living in darkness. But God, out of his grace and his love and his mercy, not because of what we did, merely by his own work, his own election, his own choosing, called us, rescued us, saved us, provided the faith necessary to trust in Jesus and brought him to his self so that we now could be called sons and daughters of his. You have a new identity because of what God has done for you. And you need to be reminded of that. But Peter doesn't just think our identity is informed by God, but also our purpose as well. Look as how he continues in this passage. So we are a people for his own possession. And then he introduces this simple phrase in the verse, that you may. Now it's always good to pause and understand what Peter's doing here. That phrase, that you may, provides a connection between the two halves of the verse. And what it forms is ultimately a purpose clause. Who you are, what God has done in forming you as a people, has a purpose. It has a reason for what God has done. And really, it leads us to kind of the second point that we need to understand from this passage, which is you and I need to know why we are here. Peter points us towards the larger purpose when he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Why are we God's redeemed people? That we may proclaim his excellencies. That is our purpose. What does that mean? Peter's drawing back on Isaiah 43, where God says, my people may proclaim who I am. But what does it mean to proclaim his excellencies? Well, Wayne Grudem, a biblical scholar, I think gives an, an excellent understanding of what Peter means in his commentary on this verse. He says, to proclaim God's excellencies is to speak of all he is and has done. Peter's word for proclaim 
to proclaim here is not really used anywhere else in the New Testament, but it's used in the Old Testament in the Psalms several times to speak of praising God, of worshiping, of declaring and speaking to who He is. To put it simply, our purpose is through our lives, through our lips, through who we are, is to glorify God, to proclaim who He is, His majesty and excellence, His glory into all of creation. Our identity is not only centered on God, our purpose is centered on God. And our purpose is to glorify Him with our lives. During the Protestant Reformation in Europe, there was a work by many different people to go back and to rediscover the truths of Scripture. Many had thrown off the heretical teaching of the Catholic Church and began to go back and discover afresh what God's Word really said and discover that Scripture is the foundation for the people of God. And they began to write and explore some of these truths and produced great writings that help unpack what God's Word says. One of these famous writings that was produced is known as the Westminster Catechism. Now, that's not a word that we use every day, a catechism, but a catechism is a way of teaching through questions and answers. Often in a catechism, a question is given, and then the answer is to be given back so that the student can learn variously through this sort of question and answer response. The Westminster Catechism was the product of a group of pastors and scholars in England during the Reformation, and they set out to encapsulate the core teachings of Scripture for the church at the time. And the opening of the Westminster Catechism has one of probably its most famous questions. It begins with this simple question, what is the chief end of man? Now, in many ways, that's the question that we're asking even in this passage. What's the chief end of man? What is our purpose? Why are we here? What is our lives, both individually and collectively, about? What is our aim and purpose? Well, they give the answer as they sought to look across Scripture. They give this answer and they say, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. As the Westminster authors sat to summarize the truth of what is our ultimate purpose as human beings. They stood in line with the witness of Peter. They stood in line with the witness of Isaiah. They stood in line with the witness of Moses. They stood in line with the witness that we see consistently across Scripture, that the main purpose of human beings, of why we were created, of the high calling that we have, is to glorify God, to center our lives all that we are on him because he is the only object worthy of glory. He is the only one worthy of our lives, worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, and that we were designed to make much of him. That is our ultimate end. Why are you here? You are here to glorify God. And in Peter's mind, the very existence of the church is to glorify God the God who has saved us. And so you and I are called to glorify Him. How do we do this? How do we seek to be the sort of people that glorify God? Well, we do it. Here's my two words for the day, right? Churchy words. We do it through worship and evangelism. What do I mean by that? Well, we do it ultimately by centering our lives on 
God. That's what worship is. To center our lives on him and to live for him and to make much of him. But it's also to speak, to proclaim, as Peter says, to declare God's worth and who he is and what he has done. But we also do that not just by declaring it to one another, but by declaring it to the world around us, to be and put on display the worth of God by the life that we live. We worship God through lives and lips, through lives that make much of him and lips that declare much of him. We share the truth of God with others through our lives and the way we live and through our lips by proclaiming to him or to others his worth. In many ways, it's this purpose that shapes everything that we do as a church, that informs all of our practices. We gather to worship God. We live as spiritual family on mission in life groups to make much of God to the world around us. The way we work, the way we parent, the way we communicate, the way we practice our sexuality, the way we you fill in the blank, if you are part of the church, the way we do all of those things is to make much of God, to proclaim his worth, his majesty, his excellency. That is our high purpose. And everything we do is brought in line with that purpose. We are God's meant to declare to all of creation how incredible he is. But if we're honest, we oftentimes struggle to live out that purpose and that identity. We struggle to actually be those sorts of people, don't we? Many times in our lives, and even with our lips, we don't live to worship. We don't live to proclaim. We forget who we are. We root our identity in other things. We live for something else other than God's glory. And Peter knows this. And it's why he wants to anchor us in a solid foundation that can draw us back to the glorious reality of our identity and purpose. And that's why the last thing Peter wants us to know is not only who we are, not only why we're here, but ultimately he wants to remind us this morning for us to know what God did. Because it's what God did that ultimately shapes who we are. You see it right in the verse. There's your purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies, now here's the key phrase, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is calling his readers to remind themselves of their conversion, of the time when they trusted in Christ and what God did for them in that moment. Remember this simple truth, that what God has done is what ultimately informs who we are and what we are called to do. And so when we are confused about who we are or what we are called to do, we need to go back and remind ourselves of what God did. And that's exactly what Peter's trying to do. He's trying to look at the church and say, don't forget what God has done for you. Remember that you were once a people who lived and walked in darkness. This is a metaphor found throughout scripture that God is light and apart from him is only darkness. 
And before Christ, you lived in that darkness, darkened in mind, darkened in heart, pursuing the passions of your flesh, which did not produce life and godliness, but instead produced death, division, destructive, destruction, injustice in your life and in the world. This is who you are. But in Christ, God has shown the light of Christ to shine upon you that you might be brought in to his truth to begin to live and understand the light of life, to have life not here, but into eternity, to experience the love and life that God has for you. Not only that, you've been brought into community with God and others. In your darkness, you were not a people. You were alienated from God, cut off from his redeemed community, wandering on your own as an orphan, but God in his love, in Christ, reached down, brought you into his family. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Your life is now defined by him. And you've been reconciled with him and with one another. Not only that, you have received in Christ mercy. Do not forget that apart from Christ, brother and sister, you stood under the judgment of God for your sin. God in his justice condemned your rebellious and divisive behavior. And if it was not for Christ, you would be cut off eternally from him. But God in his love sent his son to pay the penalty for your rebellion, for your law-breaking. Though you deserve death, Christ took that death for you and received the judgment of God that you might receive the mercy of God, that your life is no longer, if you are in Christ, defined by judgment. It is defined by love and mercy because of what Christ has done on your behalf. And through this, what Peter wants to call us back to time and time again is to remember the gospel. Remember what God did for you. When you're confused about who you are, when you forget your purpose, go back and remind yourself, God loves you so much. He sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't die but could receive eternal life. That Jesus came, lived as the anointed one of God the only perfect human being, but then offered his life as a sacrifice on the cross on your behalf, paying for your sins, but he didn't just stay dead. He rose again to announce God's new creation, to announce that Satan's sin and death do not have victory and that all those would come to him, would be brought into God's kingdom, would experience his love, would be part of his family and would be able to carry forth on into the new creation in eternity that he is This is what God has done for us in the gospel. And Peter wants to remind us of this because, listen, the gospel is the fuel. It is the fuel for how we live out our identity and purpose. When we go back to the gospel time and time again, it fuels us and reminds us of who we are. It fuels us and calls us back to our purpose. And Peter says, listen, church, For you to answer those questions, who are you? Why are you here? Where are you going? Start and go back and remind yourselves of the gospel. It is the fuel that you need to be the people God has made you to be. I always love the fall. It's my favorite time of year. And one of the things I love about the fall is I love a good bonfire. 
Anyone else with me? Anybody just like love? It's one of the joys of living in the north, right? That it gets a little cool. You get to go outside, sit around a fire, throw some logs on it, and enjoy it. They don't get to enjoy that in Florida. Nobody wants a bonfire when it's 95 degrees outside. But the joy of living in the Midwest is we get those great, cool evenings, and we get to light a fire, and we get to sit around it. But you know what's key to having a good fire? You've got to have a good source of wood. Right, you ever had a bonfire where you got like that wet, damp wood that just smokes your face out? And not only do you need good dry wood, you need a good supply of dry wood because nothing's worse than when you're sitting around with your friends enjoying a nice evening and that fire starts to go down and suddenly you realize, oh shoot, I don't have any more logs. But you know as well as I do, when you have that good supply of wood and the fire starts to die down a little bit and it starts to get a little cool and someone reaches down and they grab that log and they toss it on the fire and it sparks and lights and suddenly light is brought back to the circle and there's warmth and heat and you get to enjoy that moment. How vital that log is to the health of the fire. Well, in many ways, the gospel is like that for the fire of the church. The gospel is when our when we start to lose our flame, when we start to forget who we are, when we have those moments where we start to misalign our purposes, it's when we go back to the gospel that God in his grace, like taking a log and throwing it on a fire, sparks and reminds us of who we are in him, sparks and reminds us of our purpose in him, that God rekindles the light and heat of his people to then bring the warmth of his kingdom out into the world. And so the gospel is the fuel, it's the place we come to time and time again to be reminded, to be refreshed, to be recharged in our identity and purpose. Because when we come back to the gospel, we're reminded that those things are not ultimately rooted in us, they're rooted in what God has done. The greatest truth of the gospel is that for you to live out your identity and purpose isn't dependent on you. It's dependent on him and what he has already done in Christ. And when you understand that, it changes everything. Because you don't live for grace, you start to live from grace. You start to recognize that your purpose isn't rooted in your perfection. It's rooted in Christ's perfection and what he has done for you. And that becomes a whole different motivation. So the gospel fuels our lives, it fuels our purpose, it fuels our identity, and it's why we as a people have to come back to it time and time and time again. It's why when we gather for worship every Sunday, we come to center ourselves on the gospel, to remind ourselves that once we were not a people, but now we are a people, that once we had not received mercy, but now we have mercy. And we remind ourselves of what God has done when we gather, we sing the gospel, we pray the gospel, we preach the gospel, we remember the gospel through baptism and community and communion. It's why we gather every week to come back to the gospel, to refuel us, to go live out our identity and purpose in the world. Next week, we'll explore what that looks like more when Pastor Joel shares with us. But for now, church, we need to go back and remind ourselves of who we are and why we are here. Because maybe some of you came in struggling with those questions. Maybe if we sat down in my office this afternoon and I asked you, who are you? Why are you here? Where are you going? You might struggle to know. Maybe you're doubting the purpose 
that God has for you? Or you recognize that you found your identity in other things? Peter wants to encourage you this morning to simply just go back to the gospel. To remind yourself that your identity and purpose isn't in you, it's in Christ. And if you're in Christ this morning, no matter what you have done, God still calls you forgiven. He still calls you a son and daughter of his. Not only that, God has a great purpose for your life, to use your gifts and talents. He made you, and he wants to use you to declare how awesome he is to the world around you. And he has a mission for you and for your life. And that's true not because of you, that's true because of him. You can rest in that reality this morning. But it's not only important for us to go back and remind ourselves of who we are individually. We also need to, from time to time, go back and again remind ourselves of who we are corporately. And so I go back to those fundamental questions that were asked of the priest at the beginning. What's your name? Why are you here? Where are you going? And I think Peter makes it clear from this passage what the answers to those questions might be. What is our name? We are the church of Jesus Christ. Why are we here? Because God has chosen us as his people and given us the glorious purpose to proclaim his excellencies to all of creation. And where are we going? Well, church, we are called to go into the whole world and proclaim the greatness of our God until everyone hears the good news of what he has done in Jesus Christ. So may we time and time again go back and be reminded of who we are and what we are here for. And we may live as God's redeemed people and may he have glory in the church and in Jesus Christ forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we're so grateful this morning for what you have done. We know that we didn't deserve it, God. When we're honest with ourselves, we know that we didn't run to you, we run from you. And yet you and your grace and kindness loved us enough to choose us, to bring us into your family, to redeem us. And that now you've given us this great glorious purpose to glorify you in everything we do. God, I know this morning that there are brothers and sisters who in this moment are struggling, who don't know who they are, who are struggling with why they are here. So God, I pray right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help them to see the truth of Jesus Christ? Would they know that his death and resurrection was for them brother or sister, if you're out there, I want you to know that Jesus offers you forgiveness today. He offers you a new identity. He offers you a greater purpose. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You just have to receive it by faith this morning. 
God, I also pray just for us as your people, as your church. Would you help us not forget who we are? And would you help us to live with laser focus in all of life towards glorifying and making much of you? But even as we learn, God, we need a reminder of your truth of what you've done in Christ. And so even now, as we prepare to continue to worship you and sing, would you root the truth and the truths of Jesus in our hearts and in our minds this morning? Would you cause us to see afresh what he has done on our behalf? And then from that place, to be reminded of who you call us to be. God, we need you to do that work. And so we just give this time to you. Holy Spirit, would you move amongst us now, we pray, and ask in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.